You know, there's an old legend about the event on the day that Jesus left earth and went back to heaven. We call it the ascension. That day, uh, Jesus, as he went back to heaven to be with his father, uh, he was met there by the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel said to him, Lord, welcome back to your heavenly home, but I wonder what plans have you made for carrying on your work there on earth now that you're, you're gone? How will people come to know who you were and what you did and what you did for them? Well, Jesus re responded, oh, I left that to Peter and James and John and the rest of my disciples and also to Mary and Martha and many others. And they're simply to tell their friends about me and what I've done. And then their friends will tell other friends. Who will tell other friends? Until the whole world has heard the good news of the salvation that I've provided. Uh, Gabriel shook his head and wasn't impressed. And knowing what humans on earth are made of, he was a little skeptical. And he said, well, what if Peter and James and John go back to fishing and it's, it's a good year? What if Mary and Martha open a and b and it takes off? successful, and they, they get all so busy. And what about the rest of the disciples? What if they get preoccupied with life and problems, and they neglect to tell their friends about what you did? What's your backup plan? Jesus said, I, I have no other plan. I'm counting on those who know me to tell those who don't. That apocryphal fictional story reminds us of what's at stake. When Jesus left this earth, departed, went back to his heavenly home, and he passed the baton to his disciples and to other followers to carry on his work, his mission. It's arguably one of the most, the most important leadership transition in all of human history. And today, as I wrap up our season here at Calvary, these six months as interim pastor, uh, I want to finish with this, uh, this talk and this little series I've called Great Transitions. Our time here, as you know, we've told you, has been a wonderful time, and we want to thank you for the gracious way you've received us and brought us into your life and to your families and to your church and to love. And we feel like Calvary is our church now. We often, refer, that's how we refer to it. We want to thank you for that. It's been a highlight of ministry for us. And one of those blessings has just been our time week after week after week, spending time with you, getting to know you. Going on bike rides, hikes together, coffee together, meals together, uh, spending time with one another, studying together, praying together. It's been a deep, deep joy and blessing, and we're so thankful for that. And to see God's work in many of your lives that we've gotten closer to and seen some of you come into a, a new relationship with him. Others get back on track with him. 
Experiencing what God is doing in this city has been a third highlight for us. And just exploring and discovering and being connected to some of the amazing ministries here in Sao Paulo. So we're thankful for that. And we look forward to what God has in store for Calvary of hearing about the years to come. But we also know that it's a time of uncertainty. You've been going through it. You've had a seasons of loss from the time your pastor Nathaniel left this summer to this transition of an interim to the Fawcett situation last week and finally losing dear Mary Fawcett to wondering what is next for the church, continuing a pastoral search. Transitions are important seasons and you're in the middle of one and you know how important those are. And last week we looked at the, the, the greatest transition in the Old Testament. A transition between Moses and Joshua. And we found some key elements that go to that. And uh, Moses, who would want to follow Moses? God called him. This was God's uh, epithet for him. He said, he's the greatest leader in Israel's history. And Joshua was to call, follow him. And God said, the way that transition will be successful, he said, uh, simply, Joshua, be courageous. Take courage to follow God's word wherever it leads. If you do that, you'll experience that God's best is yet to come. Of course, the reason we're looking at these transitions is because we believe and we hope and we pray that the best is yet to come for Calvary, a transition. As God brings a, a new leader, a new pastor, lead pastor, as you're in the midst of that, you're moving from an era of, era of 40 years plus of the faucet family ministry. And now, God, what's next? In a sense, you say, our, our Moses is dead. Moses is gone. God, what next for us? Same, I'm sure, as Jesus' disciples had that same sense. Jesus, you're leaving. You can't leave. What do we do? How do we move forward? And Jesus said, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll show you. And I believe that that's what Mary Fawcett would want for Calvary, to learn how Jesus wants the church to move forward, to experience God's best. And so this, my final Sunday here at Calvary as interim pastor, we want to, I want us to look at that New Testament transition of leadership from Jesus to his disciples. Now Jesus places in his disciples' hands all that he began to teach and to do and to change lives. And so his plan was to continue his work through his disciples and their disciples and then their disciples all the way down to the 21st century to us as disciples. And then through those who become disciples after us as well. And so you can see that Jesus bet everything on this great transition to his disciples. We discover what that plan is for the transition in the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It's actually recorded for us in, in all of the Gospels and in the book of Acts, but we're going to look at Matthew's version of it today because it, it's probably the most well-known and, and maybe succinct version of Jesus' transition plan. So if you have your Bible and invite you to turn with me to Acts or uh, Matthew chapter 28, that's where we find it. And we'll be looking at that today, though, you, again, you could look at it and see it in, in many places, four other places in the Bible. But this is Matthew's well-known statement 
of Jesus' transition plan. We find it in chapter 28. It begins in verse 18. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now you may recognize those words. They're known uh, as the Great Commission. It summarizes Jesus' trans, uh, transition plan. And it's important to know these words for a couple of reasons. One, I'll tell you, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you need to know what's in these words. They're very special to you today. And, and let me tell you why. Because I don't know for what reason, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you, you find yourself here at Calvary. Maybe it's the first time you came. Maybe you've been here a few times. Maybe you've gotten pressure from home and you moved to San Paulo and somebody said, keeps asking you back home, have you been to church? Okay, I'll go to church. And so you showed up here today. Well, we're glad you're here. That's okay. Maybe you're dating someone and she keeps saying, well, if we're going to go out again, you've you got to come to my church. And you're here. Or maybe you're looking for someone to date here. That's okay, too. <laughs> maybe a friend keeps asking you to come. You know, it doesn't matter. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad you're here. This is a great place to discover who he is, the Jesus of the Bible. And I, I suspect that you know something about Jesus. You're here in Brazil. Maybe you're here, been around churches. You, you, you probably have heard him called the Son of God. You, you probably know that something about a Savior, and he died on a cross. Uh, I would imagine you believe that he was a good person, maybe even a very great teacher, uh, that he did some things, miracle things, that we don't quite understand, some, maybe. But you may not know what his intention is for your life, why he did all those things. Maybe that's escaped you. No one's ever told you why he came to earth and what he wants to accomplish in your life, not just facts about him. And so what we're going to learn today in this passing of the baton from Jesus to his disciples is that very truth, his intention for you if you're not yet a follower, what he would like to do in your life, what he offers to do in your life from today forward, from this day on for all eternity. It has great relevance to you or if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. So I, I hope you'll tune in and listen up to what would God's intention be. For us who are followers of Jesus, of course, it also summarizes his plan for us, for the rest of human history, because we are his disciples too, and he's passing the baton to us. So once Jesus was gone, we find that it, it would be up to the disciples to carry on his message and his ministry to pass on to subsequent generations that truth until Jesus returns at the end of time. And so this great commission is the blueprint for us, the church today, every church. It describes what we're to be about in order to carry out Christ's mission and his message, even though he's gone. And it tells us what God's intention is for our lives for your life if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. So I want us to consider some details of Matthew's summary of Jesus' transition plan. Because in a nutshell, it, it gives us the, the mission for the church, this church, our church, 
Calvary International Church, as well as every church. And so let's read it again. I want to just point out a, a couple of key ideas here. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, if you're reading that and it's been a while since you've read it, you think, wow, there's a lot there. It sounds complicated. The disciples are to go somewhere and make something and baptize someone and teach something else. And sounds like a lot of work to carry on now that Jesus is gone. But I'll tell you and show you on closer examination, it's really quite simple. It's not nearly as complicated as it might have sounded. To help you see that, uh, I need to pause for a minute and we're going to have a little grammar lesson. Just a short grammar lesson. But the grammar is important here because grammatically, there's only one command, one what we would call an imperative, present tense imperative verb, one thing to do in this statement. And that is to make disciples. That's the one command, the one imperative. The other action words go, baptize, teach, those are what we would call grammatically participles. They, um, they modify the verb, just like an adjective modifies a noun, a beautiful woman. These participles, they modify the, this verb to make disciples. Okay? So that's enough grammar. I got that. Uh, let's, let's try algebra. No, just kidding. <laughs> you did really well. But what this means is that the command that Jesus gave to his disciples is simply make disciples. So simply put, he told them, continue doing with others what I did with you. Invite them to come know me, learn about me, follow me, and pass that on to someone else. That's what Jesus asked them to do. Help others become fully devoted followers of him. And so the mission Jesus gave to his disciples is simply to make more disciples and then teach them how to do that with others. That's his transition plan. Got it? Let's close in prayer. No, just kidding. Not yet. That's his plan for the church. It's what he said to do. Invite more followers and teach them to Invite more followers all the way down until I come back to earth a second time. Bottom line, that's what we're to be about. That's why we say we are a gospel church. We're the church about the good news of Jesus. That's the gospel. That Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, lived a sinless life, gave his body and his blood on the cross to pay a penalty that we owed for our sin and our brokenness. And now he offers us that forgiveness, the forgiveness of God when we receive it, we believe it, and we invite him into our lives and commit ourselves to follow him for the rest of life. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's the gospel. And so that's the mission he gave to the church. So I'll tell you, if you ever leave San Paulo and you go someplace else and, and you look for a church, remember that. Because if you come across a church that has a, a, a different mission statement a different focus than that, you can be sure that church is not focused on what Jesus told it to do. You can be sure they're not 
getting with the transition plan. Instead, they put their own mission in the place of Jesus' mission. So be careful. Jesus said, that's what I ask you to do. So let's look more closely at that mission. It, obviously, it's important. Jesus gave it to every church, every disciple. But he doesn't just tell us, make disciples. That's the what we're supposed to do. He also tells us how we go about doing it, the means, the way. He says we're to do it by going, baptizing, and teaching. Well, let's unpack those extra participles a little bit. They'll help us, I think, understand the, the full mission he gave to the church. The first is going. Uh, that carries with it a, a missionary emphasis. Jesus links it. He says, go to all nations. God's a missionary God, and Jesus is just carrying that on. And so we're to make disciples by going to all nations. That implies that we as disciples, followers of Jesus, are to go where non-disciples are. You can't make disciples among disciples. You've got to go where they aren't, there aren't disciples. He says, go and take that good news. Invite others to become disciples, followers of Jesus. Now, that's important for us. That's why we want to learn how to share our faith. That's why for us as Calvary, we get excited when people from our church go into a mission, short-term or long-term missions. We're a product of that, of a generation go, missionaries coming here and bringing the gospel. We believe in, in that. But we want to continue to learn how to share our faith, to tell non-followers how they can be followers. That's why I'm excited about what God's raising up here at Calvary and even in our evangelism training ministry that started that Jeremiah Johnson is leading. And you're going to hear more about that. An opportunity to be trained how to share your faith without fear and without failure. Sign me up for that. We all want to learn how to do that. What they're doing at the end of the, again at the end of this month, there'll be another training on a Saturday. Then on Sunday, the team will go out and, and practice that and learn how to share their faith. If you've never done that and you need it, I, I encourage you to step forward. Jesus wants us to go where people are who don't know him and tell them how they can come to know him. Go, he says. And then second, he said we're to make disciples by, by baptizing. Now, baptizing is important to understand this. It encapsulates it. It's a summary of a whole process that we call conversion. In other words, responding to the gospel. He's not just saying, I want you to have baptisms every week, and that's the most important thing you can do is baptizing people. No, baptism is really a, like an umbrella statement of people becoming followers of Jesus. Okay, a little more grammar. It's a figure of speech known as a, a synecdoche. And a synecdoche is a figure of speech in which a part stands for the whole. We use those all the time. When I pray for the president, for example, I'm not just praying for one president. I'm praying for the, the president and all those who serve with him and all those in his, his administration. When you cheer for uh, the Sao Paulo football team or you cheer for the Corinthians, you're, not, you're cheering for the, the whole organization to win. It's the same thing here. When Jesus says baptize, he's saying he's using that idea of baptism to represent the whole conversion experience. The experience of repenting of sin 
acknowledging our need for a Savior and for forgiveness, receiving Christ into our lives, entrusting our lives to Him, aligning ourselves to be followers of Jesus for the rest of our lives and receiving the gift of eternal life. That whole package, Jesus called it born again. Now here he's using a phrase, baptize, be baptized, representing the whole package of conversion to Christ. We celebrate baptisms because it illustrates what's happened in a person's life. That whole package of conversion. That a person has died to, to themselves. They have uh, spiritually converted and become a follower of Jesus, invited him into their life. They've died to sin. They've been raised a new, as a new identity, a new person. Baptism symbolizes that. That's why we celebrated baptism a few weeks ago. We had w such a great celebration of people saying, I am now a follower of Jesus. You didn't see when that happened. You didn't see me on my knees and receiving Christ or whatever it happened. But baptism is an expression of that whole event of conversion. And so baptism announces that one is a follower of Jesus. And Jesus said, as you make disciples, make sure they can announce that publicly. They've been converted. They've become my followers. And baptism is the way of doing that. And then the final piece in making disciples, he says, is teaching. Teach them. Not just teach them your favorite stories. Not just teach them the easy things you understand. He says, teach them everything I've commanded. Well, how much are we supposed to teach them then? Everything <laughs> I commanded you. You know, churches, we can fall into patterns of saying, well, we don't deal with that because it's controversial. It would require too much change. We don't fully understand it. Jesus says, I don't care. Teach it. Learn it and then teach it. Everything I've commanded you to do. That's a reference to the Bible. Everything that we have in the Bible, God's Word. And so as followers of Jesus, that's why we embrace the authority of God's Word here. God's Word, the Bible, is our authority for what we believe and how we live. And that's not always easy. Uh, you and I probably both believe stuff that we shouldn't be believing because it's not in the Bible. But we believe it. We just don't know that it's not in the Bible yet. Or we're practicing things. We do things that... We shouldn't be doing because they're not in the Bible. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible is our guide for what we believe and how we live. And we don't do that and follow the Bible because it's some wooden uh, rule book. Oh, we check the boxes every week. How'd you do? Did you, get, did you get 10 out of 10? That's not the point. We don't check the boxes so that God likes us, isn't angry at us anymore, or Jesus loves us more. That's not why we obey the, the Bible. That's not why we learn it. That's what Jesus explained to his disciples on the last evening they were together before he went to the cross. Maybe you remember these verses as he was in the upper room in John 15, 9, and 10. He said, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. Jesus' point here is that obedience, our obedience to the Bible, is the expression of our love for Him. We obey out of love, not out of requirements, not out of legalism, not out of guilt or shame. And isn't that how it should work? Isn't that how it should work in our families? 
our kids, you want them to, your kids, you want them to obey because they love you. And it expresses their love rather than they obey so that you will love them or you stop being angry at them. We love, or we obey because it's an expression of our love. And that's how it is in our obedience to God's word. As we're taught the word, we grow in our knowledge of the word and our love for God. And we can hardly wait to express that, even in the hard areas of life, of obeying the word and believing what the Bible says. That's why the Bible is important to us here at Calvary. If you're looking for a church, you'll find Calvary is a church that honors the Bible, teaches it, listens to it, and obeys it. That's why we preach and study the Bible, both publicly and privately at home, and encourage that. We teach your kids, get Bible stories and Bible teaching. Because you can't experience authentic spiritual growth as a follower of Jesus apart from the Bible. Knowing it and doing it. Well, there you have it. That's it. Jesus' prescription to his disciples of how they're to carry on his message and his ministry as he passes the baton to them. It's not complicated, is it? It's not really difficult. It's simply a matter of obedience. We are to make disciples of all nations by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. That's the mission Jesus left with his disciples. And it's still the mission 21 centuries later for us. So we step back and ask the hard question, how are we doing with what he asked us to do? My prayer for Calvary, of course, is it will be a church that keeps the main thing the main thing. And Jesus said the main thing is make disciples by going where they aren't, by sharing the gospel, seeing people converted, and by teaching them how to live and what to believe. And Calvary has a rich history of doing that, of keeping the main thing the main thing. And that's my prayer for you going forward. I've met so many of you who've told me that uh, this is the place you came to know Jesus. You discovered who the real Jesus is, the Jesus of the Bible. Not the one you maybe grew up with or was passed on to you and, or you thought was always angry at you and you could never please. You discovered the real Jesus of the Bible who loves you just as you are and will never love you more and will never love you less. And you said, I want to follow that Jesus. And you found that here at Calvary and your lives were changed. There's a rich history of that, that here because it's part of the DNA of Calvary that Bill and Mary Fawcett and those before them and those after them brought and helped plant the DNA of this church that the main thing is to make disciples. So I want to encourage you as you look forward in this great transition that you're in, don't get distracted with a lot of good things that keep you from the main thing. You see, when you look at the church, it boils down, Jesus said, there's just one thing I ask you to do. Just make disciples who make disciples. And you're going to be studying in weeks to come this uh, series, What a Healthy Church Is. And it's a great study. You're going to enjoy, you're going to learn a lot. But I'm, I'll give you a little spoiler today, okay? So if you miss a couple of weeks, you'll at least get the end. I don't have permission to give this to you, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'll ask for forgiveness later, okay? 
the end of it all you're going to discover is that a healthy church is a church that makes disciples that keeps the main thing the main thing it doesn't get distracted with a bunch of other good things and loses the main thing it's a, a church that teaches God's word lives God's word honors God's word follows it in every area but not as and in and of itself but it's an opportunity to make disciples and it goes and it prays and it does all the good things a church should do but the main thing is to make disciples that's important for all of us as we work through what a church should be that's what Jesus said that's what I want you to do Fulfilling the Great Commission is one of the most joyful experiences of the Christian life. If you've never been a part of it, let me invite you to join in that. There's a story that I close with about an abbot at a monastery, and he'd received some new students, and he chose one of those new students to kind of mentor and help along to start, and uh, this illustrates Jesus' transition plan. The abbot told this new student, called him in and said, I'd like for you tomorrow in the chapel service, I want you to deliver the homily, the, the little sermon. Well, this new student thought, oh, I've never done anything like that. It struck him with fear. I don't like being in front of uh, large groups. Not done that either, and I don't know what to say. So he struggled all night with that. At chapel the next morning, his time came for the homily, and he stood up in front of the group, and he said, do you, do you know what I'm going to say? And they all shook their heads, no. He said, well, neither do I, so let's stand for the benediction. <laughs> they went out, and the abbot grabbed him and said, what, what, what's going on? You need to learn how to do this. Share the homily. So he coached him a little longer, and he said, I want you to do it again tomorrow in chapel. And so he fretted all night, and he struggled with it. And he, again, chapel time came. He had a second chance, and he stood before the group, and he said, do you know what I'm going to say? And this time, they, they all nodded, yes. <laughs> and he said, okay. Then there's no need for me to tell you. Let's stand for the benediction. We're going to be dismissed. Well, the abbot called him one more time. He said, third chance. You must learn how to do this. I want you to study and prepare all evening. All night if it takes it. At chapel, you'll speak again tomorrow. Chapel time, homily time. The young student stood before everyone, asked the same question. Do you know what I'm going to say? Well, this time, because of yesterday and the day before, some of them nodded, yes. And others nodded, no. And he said, okay, well then let those who know tell those who don't. We're dismissed with the benediction. <laughs> you know, essentially, he got it right. That's what disciple making is all about. Those who know Jesus, telling those who don't know Jesus, how they can come to know him. That's what it is. And so if you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, now you know. You know what God's intention is for your life, what God would like to do in you, how he'd like to come in and 
heal the brokenness, clean up some messes, get rid of the guilt, uh, send you, set you free from the shame in the person of his son, Jesus. That's God's intention in your life. To do something in your life that you've always wanted, but you never knew quite how to get there. You never knew how to find it, but you've, you've really searched for it in many ways throughout your life. And God says, my intention is to show you how that can be fulfilled in the person of my son, Jesus. And that's why we welcome you here at Calvary, because that's our intention for you as well. We want to welcome you, engage you, know you, connect our lives with you, spend time with you, not to get you to join our church or to fill our volunteer slots or to give your money here, but so that you can discover who the real Jesus is, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that says, I will come in and change your life. I'll give you hope and meaning and salvation for all eternity. I'll make a difference in your life starting today from this day forward. That's God's intention. That's our intention as a disciple-making church. And Calvary, I want to challenge you and encourage you as you continue in this search, uh, this era, transition era, for a new pastor to take you to the next 40-year era of this, min of this ministry. My prayer is that you find a pastor whose heart beats for that a passion uh, uh, for Jesus' mission as a church. And as you're interviewing, you might think of ways to ask those questions. What, what gives you excitement? What is your passion in ministry? You see, certainly you need a pastor who loves God's word, who knows how to teach and preach God's word, who loves to pray, who loves missions, who's engaged in counseling, who's competent with administration, who loves people. But none of those are the mission. None of those are the main thing. And so you, you don't want to settle for something that keeps you from having the main thing, the main thing. You don't want a pastor who doesn't love making disciples. Oh, he might be a great teacher, but you don't want to settle for that. He might be a great counselor, but you don't want that to distract you from the main thing. Because the main thing, Jesus says, is make disciples. By going, by baptizing, and by teaching. All of those things are the context in which disciple-making takes place. Because the mission of the church, Jesus' plan for passing the baton, the great transition, is that the church have a passionate commitment to make disciples who make disciples. Which simply put is that those who know tell those who don't. Let's pray. God, thank you that you kept it so simple that even our fifth graders, third graders, middle schoolers, we all get it. You just asked us to tell those who don't how they can know how they can know Jesus. So Lord, I, I thank you for your ministry, your work here at Calvary for these decades. I commit this church to you. These people have become so special to us. Lord, we, we commit them to you to continue that transition of making disciples, of seeing people 
discover the joy of following Jesus and teaching them how to do that and then showing them and equipping them how they can bring somebody else into that process. And Lord, I pray today for some, maybe who are here that, uh, sitting in this auditorium and they came, they don't know you and they never knew what you wanted to do in their lives and they maybe were fearful of that. But God, now they know. Now they know your intention is simply to heal their brokenness, to forgive their sins, and to give them the gift of eternal life. I pray that you, Father, you would call them to your son Jesus, that the Spirit of God would draw them to a new, fresh, fresh living relationship with the living Savior. We're grateful for all that he has done and means to us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.